My name is Diana and this is the Family Finance Show, the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt and investing for the future. Ulrich Ruhr is an attorney and the managing director of Ulrich Ruhr & Associates. Thanks for your time today, Ulrich, and welcome to the Family Finance Show. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking about anti-nuptial contracts. When you're getting married, the last thing you're probably thinking about is how you're going to split the money after your marriage ends, either due to divorce or to death. But it's actually a really important consideration for people who are thinking about getting married. So maybe we can start with what happens if you don't sign an antinuptial contract before getting married and the marriage ends? What happens then? So if, if no, a prenuptial contract is signed between the parties uh, before they get married, then automatically they are deemed to uh, be married in the community of property. And what that entails is that all of the assets and liabilities of both parties are thrown into one big pot, so to speak, and uh, the estate is deemed to be a a combined estate. So the husband's wealth uh, is regarded as being the wife's wealth and and vice versa. Mm. If there is a divorce uh, later on in the marriage or one of the spouses pass away, then um, the uh, joint estate or the combined estate will be divided equally between the parties. In other words, um, it will be the wife will receive 50% and the husband will receive 50% and will be split down the middle and that will bring the, the marital contract to an end. Um, if, if there is a death of one of the spouses, then obviously the, the estate will be divided uh, in accordance with a will that has been drafted uh, either jointly or separately by the two parties. If there's no will, then the estate will be divided in accordance with our Interstate Succession Act, which uh, firstly uh, will go to sub- uh, the children of the parties, alternatively to the parents of the parties, alternatively to the siblings of the parties. So in a nutshell, if no anti uh, prenuptial contract is entered into between the parties, then they are deemed to be married in community of property and they have one big joint estate into which all of their assets and liabilities get thrown into. Okay, and so what happens if the parties want to sign a prenuptial contract? What options do they have in South Africa? So you can, uh, with a prenuptial contract, you can either be married uh, out of community of property, which means that the estate, uh, the, the assets and the liabilities of each party remains theirs. Uh, it is not Uh, deemed to be the assets of the other party Um, or you can get married uh, out of community of property with the application of the accrual system. Mm. Now what the accrual entails is that there's a value attached to the state of both parties upon marriage. Normally it is deemed to be a zero uh, value so each party goes into the marriage with uh, their their net wealth being regarded as zero. And whatever wealth is accumulated during the marriage is taken into account. Um, And upon dissolution of the marriage, so upon divorce, the the respective estates of both parties are calculated. And the spouse whose 
estate accumulated by the least amount. In other words, um, if the wife amassed a million rand during the marriage in wealth and the husband amassed 500,000 rand, the difference of the two estates will be 500,000 rand and the spouse whose estate grew with the least amount will be entitled to half of that difference. So in the example that I named now, the husband will be entitled to 250,000 rand, which is half of the difference uh, in the amount with which the two estates grew. So it is a financial calculation which is done. It takes into consideration all of the uh, assets and liabilities uh, which can be apportioned to each respective party's uh, name and their personal capacity, as well as uh, a possible uh, wealth accumulation in, for example, companies or trusts. Uh, and that forensic calculation is then done to determine uh, which spouse is entitled to what amount. Um, it is most often than not the marital regime that we see uh, to nowadays. Uh, and the reason for that is that, uh, you know, when you are in a, in a loving marriage, then the argument is that, that both spouses contribute towards the well-being of the other spouse and that the spouses must be uh, um, awarded for that should the, or rewarded for that should the, uh, marriage dissolve at the end of the day. Yeah, that's actually the, the the way my husband and I got married. It's exactly exactly as you said. It's <laughs> um, it's I think it's the fairest way to do it because who knows who's going to take off time to look after the children and support one partner while they're building a business or supporting their career. So in our case, especially yeah. since we're both uh, business owners now, I, I thought it was very fair to do this, uh, the anti-nuptial contract with, with the cruel. So sorry, it's, it's out of community of property with the cruel. So yeah, it's yes, interesting that you indeed, say that's, yeah. that's the majority of people, but how do people decide? I suppose everyone is in a unique situation. So people might, might not want to go with everyone else and, and, do the standard marriage contract, what, uh, what would be some of the considerations? Are there any exceptions to the rule, some specific things that people need to think about when they're drawing up Sorry, their prenuptial? No, definitely. You know, it's, it's unfortunately, as you pointed out uh, at the beginning of our discussion, that it is something that parties don't really want to think about when they do get married. But unfortunately, it is a reality. Um, and, and uh, you know, South Africa's divorce rate is alarmingly high. Um, in fact, 50% uh, of all people who get married in our country end up getting divorced, which is uh, a horrible stat if you, if you think about it. Mm. Um, if you have a dinner with two couples, then chances are that one of them is divorced. So it is definitely something that parties must consider very seriously when they get married. Uh, and, and the most important things to consider is for example, um, you know, do you want to have children during your marriage? Are both parties uh, 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 career-driven and career-orientated? Um, is the the one of the parties, uh, you know, high up in a commercial entity, and is there potential to earn a substantial amount of wealth? Uh, uh, a realistic possibility. All of those things are important to consider, and and I think the the fairest way. To, to get married uh, in today's day and age is definitely uh, out of community of property with the application of the accrual system because of the fact that, um, you know, uh, when, when parties are married, they are deemed to be a team and, and that mm -hmm. the two team members must support each other. 
and uh, and if unfortunately the marriage is dissolved, then then the the part you who, for instance, as you pointed out, uh, you know, raise the children, put her or his career on hold in order to raise the children and to focus on building, building a household must be reimbursed accordingly or rewarded accordingly if the parties do get divorced. Yes, indeed. I love that idea of, of team. And I think that that's really important going into any marriage. And I remember when we were getting married, our lawyer told us some funny examples of antinuptial or prenuptial contracts that she'd done uh, with, I think it comes about when there's high net worth individuals involved. And there were certain clauses in the contract, like, for example, um, uh the marriage, if the marriage dissolved before 10 years, then um, the party that came into the marriage with less money would get nothing. And if the marriage lasted longer than 10 years, they would get a certain percentage. So it was a really complicated financial calculation they put into the clauses. I suppose people could do that if they want, but then you've really got a question uh, like what what is your intention with the marriage and, and how why are you putting in these clauses, even though I suppose it's perfectly legal to put these kinds of clauses into a contract, right? Yes, yes, it is definitely. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, one has to uh, separate the emotional aspect from the contractual or the legal aspect when you do enter into a prenuptial contract. And uh, the emotional one is, of course, you know, why Why are we debating this? Why are we fighting mm. about this? Uh, you know, we don't want to get divorced. Why are we even getting married if we have to address divorce now? And Unfortunately, one cannot just think that way because we, we don't have a crystal ball and we, and we can't mm. see into the future. So, um, you know, you need to prepare uh, uh, from a legal perspective, you always need to prepare for the worst and to ensure that if a situation arises that you are covered adequately and that um, you and uh, the children born of the marriage will be looked after um, sufficiently should the parties get divorced at the end of the day. But certainly we've had some interesting clauses inserted into prenuptial agreements as well. Uh, uh, most often than not, they do revolve around adulterous relationships uh, and, uh, you know, that one of the spouses will uh, forfeit their their right to claim against the estate of the other spouse should they uh, be caught in, a, in an adulterous relationship. Um, but, yeah, you know, unfortunately, this is a reality of, of marriages as well in today's day and age. Um, I must tell you a quick story. The, the biggest fight I've ever had in a divorce was uh, uh, two, two parties who had um, accumulated a substantial amount of wealth during their marriage. And, and both of them were, were phenomenal uh, business people and had done very well within their respective sectors. And it took us um, probably about three months to reach an, an agreement and a settlement on the estate and on the division of the, the substantial estate. And then we proceeded to argue for 18 months about the family parrot and who would retain <laughs> yes. the, the family parrot, uh, which was an African grey that was uh, 30 years old and both of them loved the bird tremendously. Uh, and only for the, the dispute to be settled when the bird unfortunately and sadly passed away. And then both parties blamed the other party for killing the bird. So <laughs> that was a, just a, a further <laughs> complication in the settlement of the divorce. Um, but nobody, yeah, can say the day, it's, it, it, nobody can say it's not entertaining uh, to be a lawyer. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, definitely. Um, and unfortunately, at the end of the day, you know, um, I've probably done more than, than 600 divorces during my career. And I've only gone to court in, I think, three or four of those matters. So it's, it's never in the interest of the parties to, to fight uh, in a divorce and to dispute uh, a divorce settlement. Because at the end of the day, you are most often than not likely to spend much more on your legal fees. Mm. Then you would have uh, received the had, had you just uh, settled the matter at the beginning. And remember that any good settlement leaves both parties equally unhappy, and that <laughs> is in fact the sign of a good settlement. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we always try and push it towards that. <laughs> and Ulrich, what about um, if you're not married and you don't intend to be married, but you're partners, uh, perhaps you started a family together, but um, your intention is not to get married and you're not married. Could you, in that case, have an antinuptial contract or prenuptial contract, or would you just have a different form of contract? Yes, you could enter into uh, what we refer to as a cohabitation agreement, uh, and that regulates the uh, the financial aspect as well as the um, the well-being of the child or children born of the relationship between the parties, etc., uh, etc. Et so it is not a marriage contract entered into uh, if when parties get married, but it, it is of uh, full force and effect and it carries the same weight uh, as a marriage contract. Um, the beauty about a cohabitation agreement is that it can be ended and the relationship can be ended without getting the courts involved. Mm. Um, whereas if you do get married, uh, and, and obviously I have nothing against marriage or against not getting married, but if you do get married, it is a, it is a valid and binding contract that you enter into and only uh, a competent court, which is a regional court in South Africa or a high court, is uh, able to dissolve that contract. So in other words, is able to issue you with a decree of divorce, which mm -hmm. ends the marriage. Whereas uh, with a cohabitation agreement, the parties, uh, should they separate, uh, their separation will be governed by that agreement. Uh, and it's not necessary to, to obtain a court order in order to give effect to the agreement. So I suppose that could be also useful for people in South Africa whose marriages haven't been recognized. So perhaps some traditional marriages are not recognized or some religious ceremonies are not recognized. I suppose for people who who have gotten married in that way, which is not legally recognized, it would be quite useful to have a, such a cohabitation, cohabitation agreement. Yes, definitely. Um, we also have an act uh, uh, which is referred to as the, the Customary Marriages Act. And it does re refer to marriages, obviously, um, where people uh, enter into a customary marriage where there's the payment of labola, mm -hmm. etc., etc. So those marriages are governed by the Customary Marriages Act, but it is not ref uh, what we call a civil union. So the South African civil law is not applicable in those marriages. Uh, they do not have to attend to a court to get divorced. They also mm -hmm. do not have to uh, have the the Department of Home Affairs register uh, altered, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yes, certainly we we see a lot of customary marriages, and as I said, they are governed by the Customary Marriages Act, which determines how parties will uh, separate should their marriage no longer work out. 
And what about common law marriage? I'm not sure if that still exists. So um, there used to be something where, where if the partners had lived together for, I think it was more than seven years, they were considered by law to be married in community of property. Does that still exist or not? No, it does not. Uh, okay. you, you're quite correct. It, uh, it was uh, deemed as a, as a common law marriage if parties had uh, been residing together for a period of 10 years or more. Um, but that has fallen away with the application of our marriage act, uh, as well as our customary marriages act. Um, so the, the the union between parties is now go- governed by the relevant legislation, and uh, it is also you know advisable for parties if they are not married but they do live together, and they do possibly have children or a child together to enter into a cohabitation agreement. So that if um, you know the the relationship does come to an end, then uh, it can be uh, dissolved or, or settled amicably in terms of that agreement. But no common law marriages still exist in South Africa. Okay. Uh, so, Ulrich, my final question is a, a question that I ask all of my guests, and I know that you recently became a father. So, this question is about the best piece of financial advice that you would like to pass on to your child what would it be (laughs) (laughs) yeah it would obviously be to um uh, you know save as much as you can and and from as young age as you can as possible um and and to give yourself that financial freedom uh, you know if you if you look after the pennies when you are younger then hopefully it will uh, contribute towards you living a comfortable lifestyle when you're older um and and also you know take take the necessary advice at all times uh you know when i've got a toothache then i go to the dentist uh, and when i need a certain legal aspect clarified then i go to a certain lawyer who deals with those matters so when i invest my money i i always take proper advice and i consider it properly and uh and I don't only take one person's advice. I make sure that I get, um, you know, the, the proper advice from a, from a number of parties. And then so that I could have peace of mind at the end of the day uh, when I do invest my money. That it will not only look after me and my older day, but obviously after my family and, and after my, my uh, one boy at this stage and possibly more kids going forward. So uh, advise why... Invest wisely and start young would be my two main uh, main points. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's great. Hopefully, um, your son will will follow that advice to the letter, and then he shouldn't have any problems in future financially. <laughs> Exactly, so, yeah. so thanks so much for your time today on the Family Finance Show, Ulrich, and all your um, insight into into marriage and marriage contracts. Only a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay on the journey to improving your family's financial well-being. 